night's broadcast, friends, and welcome to this Monday night edition of Corbett Report Radio. Of course, I am your host, James Corbett, and I am broadcasting to you all the way from the sunny climes of western Japan. And over here, it is already the 29th of November, 2011. So welcome to you wherever, whenever, and however you're listening to my voice this evening. It's great to have you on board for another exciting week of broadcasts here on Corbett Report Radio. And I'll just let you know what's coming up this week so far. So far, we have planned two conversations for this week, one coming up tomorrow night with Mark Ressel, a professor in signals processing from Argentina. We're going to be having a wide-ranging discussion on consciousness and all of the various implications thereof. So that should be extremely interesting, and I hope you'll be tuning in for that. And then on Thursday night, we're going to be talking to James Lane, who people who have listened to the Corbett Report in the past might know is a researcher who's been doing some really, a a lot of uh, on-the-ground, really great uh, primary source-type research on the OKC bombings. And he has a brand-new documentary coming out on the Oklahoma City bombing and all of the the false flag indications of what that debacle turned out to be. So I'm very much looking forward to that conversation as well. But other than that, we don't have any other guests lined up for this week. So also tonight, we we don't have a specific guest lined up for you. Tonight, I actually wanted to talk about something, well, a little bit philosophical, if you'll indulge me. I wanted to get into a, a topic that I think is extremely important, and in fact, in some ways, goes to the very heart of what the Corbett Report and Corbett Report Radio are all about. And I'll just take the uh, the theme of today from a, a quotation from Lord Acton, the very same Lord Acton who is the source of the infamous dictum that uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. He also had this saying, which I think is particularly apt for Corbett Report listeners. He said, liberty is not a means to a higher political end. It is itself the highest political end. Once again, liberty is not a means to a higher political end. It is itself the highest political end. And I'm going to venture to guess that all of you out in the audience tonight listening to me, if this is your second or third or 100th or 10,000th time listening to my voice, it's probably because you resonate with that message just as I do, that liberty is, in fact, the highest political end, and that's what we are all here aiming at. And we may have different ideas about how to get there, but ultimately, that's what it's all about. And certainly, that's what motivates me motivates me to continue going on with this broadcast and my podcast and my videos and all of the work that I'm doing at CorbettReport.com. So I think that should be taken as a given, that this broadcast is about liberty. It's about finding liberty. It's about achieving that highest political end of liberty. But it always raises the fundamental underlying question of what is liberty itself? What does this mean? What is this phrase that we use so freely in in conversations like this and in our philosophical conversations? What does it even mean and where does it come from and what what how do we get there? And this is not just a question of semantics. This isn't just me arguing about a dictionary definition here. This is an extremely important philosophical point for what we're engaged in today. Because if we don't have a baseline understanding of what liberty is and how we get to achieve it, then how can we possibly have any informed discussion on the matter? And that's exactly what I want to try to open and broach in tonight's uh, broadcast. I don't know if we'll be able to really plumb the depths of this mystery tonight, but at least we'll open the door on the conversation of what is liberty and how do we achieve it. 
going to be a very interesting conversation. So, of course, if you want to get in on tonight's uh, phone conversation, you can call in at 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. We will get you up and on the air here on Corbett Report Radio. You just do as you're told. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Of course, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And tonight we are cutting through the matrix of the left-right phony political paradigm to bring you the only political paradigm that matters. And I say that advisedly. That's a phrase that I use a lot, the phony left-right political paradigm. But again, I think that speaks to the heart of what we're really trying to get to at CorbettReport.com and all the work that I'm doing. Because... It seems to me that people's minds are locked in to, to a matrix, if not literal, at least it's the best figurative analogy that we have for what's going on in people's heads as they get locked in and really imprisoned in this ideology of this left versus right, this big smoke and mirror sideshow that unfortunately has come to become synonymous for many people with politics. When you ask the average American or the average person on the street what politics are all about, they will almost inevitably frame it in some sort of Democrat, Republican, left, right, blue, red type debate. And I think once we've gotten ourselves lost in that debate, we are lost completely. Because if you can make the debate all about the left and right, all about Democrat, Republican, all about the the donkeys or the elephants, the Republicrats or the Democrats, if you can make it all about that, then you can effectively hide what politics really fundamentally is aiming at. And this is something that's been said in a lot of ways by a lot of different people. But I like to posit it this way. We talk about the left and the right and the political spectrum. But the political spectrum, if it exists, is a straight line. And if we'll cast our minds back to high school algebra, a straight line is a one-dimensional entity. It only has one dimension, only length. There is no width, there is no depth, only length. Whereas the world we live in is three-dimensional. So how accurate a representation of our actual physical world and all of the various multivariate displays of, of very in, in, com- complex ideology can a mere one-dimensional line possibly represent? I'd like to posit that it can't represent that much at all. So how about, at the very least, trying to expand our our horizon in terms of the the political spectrum into a two-dimensional grid, at least? Not just a left and a right of politics, but an up and a down. And that's where I think things start to become at least a little bit more realistic, because ultimately all these representations of, of political systems are designed to do is to try to create something that actually makes sense, something that something that we can use as a way of mapping ourselves onto reality. So how about a two-dimensional grid? If we have an up and a down in politics, as well as a left and a right, then we can account for some of the nuance that doesn't seem to be accounted for in any of the mainstream political discourse. For example, 
We have the left, we have the right, we have the Democrats, we have the Republicans. And yet, as I'm sure all of the listeners out there are well aware by now, the left and the right, the Democrats and the Republicans, really are going on every major agenda issue in the exact same direction and arguing for the exact same things. And I think there is no better representation of that than the recent Republican presidential nominee debates in which you have one arm of the Republicans arguing with another arm of the Republicans, and they are all essentially saying the exact same thing. They are all arguing for greater police state measures to crack down on the so-called terrorist boogeymen who are supposedly hiding in every corner and under every bed. They're all arguing for increasing wars and military presence all around the world. They're all uh, arguing for greater handouts and bailouts to the banksters on Wall Street and and more power to the Federal Reserve and more entangling alliances in the United Nations and all of these uh, major agenda issues on which all of these candidates are in the exact same boat as all of the establishment Democrat candidates. Of course, with the notable exception of Ron Paul on the Republican side, and why is it that he is so different than the others? Why is it that when you listen to Ron Paul, you actually hear someone who's actually saying something that you don't expect to hear from a politician? And why is that so refreshing? Well, if any of the other political candidates out there could answer that question, they would be onto the formula that would actually secure them the popularity of the voters. Because it's my opinion that people at base fundamentally desire liberty. They want to be free. They do not want to be treated like children and basically bossed around by a nanny government fascist state that tells them what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and in what way. And I think that's that's so, so much a truism that it almost doesn't need to be stated. And yet, maybe it does. And I have a couple of articles here that I'd like to point to that point in exactly opposite directions. And you tell me which which idea you think is more convincing. So the first one comes from blacklistednews.com, and it comes from July of 2008. And uh, here we have uh, this article. It's entitled, Time Editor, America Has Appetite for Big Government. And this article reads in part, quote, Time Magazine Managing Editor Richard Stengel told the hosts of MSNBC's Morning Joe on July 17th that there's incredible despair out there, and there's a sense that, that something needs to be done and people have kind of an appetite for big government in a way in America. Stengel was citing a po- new poll, but the interview did not discuss the fact that the poll also found 80% of respondents said they should be responsible for carrying their own financial burdens. The poll was a joint effort of Time Magazine and the Rockefeller Foundation, surprise, surprise, an organization Stengel characterized as on a mission themselves to help the American worker and find out about the economy. Well, we'll end that quotation there, but I thought that was a particularly interesting little nugget coming from the editor of Time magazine, and anyone who's looked into the origins of Time magazine and its first publisher and editor and his connections to what became the CIA, all of those shenanigans should not be surprised to find Time becoming a mouthpiece for the oligarchical establishment as represented perhaps by none better than the Rockefeller Foundation. And I think I don't need to say what that represents. So that's one idea, that people have this appetite for big government, and really deep down they're scared about all the things that are going on in the world, and they really just want government to come in and take over their lives. 
as posited by Time Magazine, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the other elites who are puppeteering the system from the top. But, of course, we have the other side of that, which also comes from a poll, and this one was commissioned by CNN. Well, why not? A CNN Opinion Research Corporation survey, which was conducted in February of 2010, and this article, again, comes from CNN.com, and it's entitled, CNN Poll, Majority Says Government a Threat to Citizens' Rights. Quote, A majority of Americans think the federal government poses a threat to rights of Americans, according to a new national poll. 56% of people questioned in a CNN Opinion Research Corporation survey released Friday say they think the federal government's become so large and powerful that it poses an immediate threat to the rights and freedoms of ordinary citizens. 44% of those polled disagree. The survey indicates a partisan divide on the question. Only 37% of Democrats, 63% of independents, and nearly 7 in 10 Republicans say the federal government poses a threat to the rights of Americans. Well, we'll end that quotation there. But what does that article tell us about what's really going on behind the politics of liberty? Well, again, it brings it back into that left-right paradigm, that Democrat-Republican feud that gets us absolutely nowhere, that spins our tires. And, of course, the two tires may be on different sides of the car, but they have to both work together in order to propel the car forward, which is exactly where we're heading. We're heading forward into the system that the New World Order is constructing for you and I. So what do we do in order to try going in a different direction, well, we need to think in terms of not forward or backward, but left and right. We have to think of that second dimension in politics. So it may be true that right now, 7 in 10 Republicans say the federal government poses a threat to the rights of Americans, but I guarantee you two years from now, if there's a different puppet in the White House, that it'll be exactly opposite. 7 in 10 Democrats will be saying that the federal government poses a threat, and 37% of Republicans, or whatever the specific numbers will be, because always, 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 the people are placated by putting in a puppet that they think will serve their interests. And people get so caught up in the left-right football debate that they forget that this is all a game and that the real politics are going on behind the scenes. But again, as I say, I have no doubt that Corbett Report listeners are very much informed on these issues and very much aware of all of that background and context. So, Today, I'd like to start exploring some of the different ideas for what liberty is and how it can function. And I'd like to point your attention to a very interesting article that was written back in August of 1995 called The Californian Ideology. And we won't have time to go into it deeply right now as we're coming up on the break, but I'll just go over the main points of this. Basically, this is an article talking about a a new or supposedly new political ideology which has cropped up on the west coast of the U.S. in recent years, specifically around Silicon Valley, and of course talking about the amazing technological advances that have been made in the last 30 years. And it's interesting to note that the technological advances made by computers and personal computers and, of course, the Internet has really led to the rise of a quote-unquote new political philosophy philosophy, which people are term, terming the Californian ideology. Very interesting idea, and basically this is about a type of, I guess, techno-libertarian idea that people exist in virtual communities these days, so there are virtual classes, which means that there is a type of social liberation which can occur because people are not bound in to the, to the world that they exist in, the community that they exist in specifically. 
I'm not going to pronounce on it either way right now, especially not without being able to get into the meat and potatoes of the context of this. But I think it is interesting to think about the ways that technology are enabling us to think about new forms of political ideology, new forms of political organization that truly wouldn't have been possible even a few short years ago. And, of course, one example of that is the fact that I'm coming to you today all the way from Japan, wherever you are right now, however you're listening. So, let's continue this conversation on the other side as we go to your calls here on Corbett Report Radio. Welcome back, friends. James Corbett here from CorbettReport.com. And tonight we are getting into liberty. What is this thing that we're all questing after? How do we achieve it? What does it really mean in the end? Very, very important, very fundamental questions, and one that I think we have to continually ask ourselves, because if we don't have an answer to that question, or at least a satisfactory answer, a working intuition of what liberty really is and how we achieve it, then I think we're lost in this game of politics, because that's all politics really is, is a game to keep us distracted from what's really happening behind the scenes. So we're exploring this concept tonight and going into in-depth into what liberty is, and coming up later in tonight's broadcast, uh, I will be actually reading a section from my forthcoming book, Reportage, Essays on the New World Order, which I've been working on and promising to people out there for at least the last two, uh, I think maybe almost three years. Oh, my, I shudder to think how long I've been working on this book. But at any rate, I will be reading a section from uh, one of the essays that I'm going to be putting out called Up Down Politics on this very topic. But right now, let's go to the phone lines. I understand we have Barbara from California on the line. Barbara, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us. Oh, hi, James. Oh, gosh, it's really great to have... uh wonderful program to listen to every night on the radio now so um yeah because we i haven't had a tv for like six years now so it's it's great but what i wanted to uh, mention was um the essay called on liberty by john stuart mill um and you can get it um you know online for free and and read it it was written in the like 1887 something like that um, and it's just an essay, and he just talks about what he thinks liberty is. And, you know, basically it's just the fact that you should be able to do whatever you want to do as long as you're not interfering with someone else's ability to do what they want to do. And then also the, the hard part then is that we do live in a society with other people. So it's just constantly um, thinking and talking about balancing um you know, you being able to be free, uh, you know, and also, you know, your your responsibilities to people other than yourself that live in your community, or or, or like or like that. So anyway, that I just like to recommend for people to read that. Um, just Google "On Liberty" by John Stuart Mill, and you can um, you know get it online, or you can get it from the library. Uh, it's a very short little book. It's very readable. Um, so anyway, that's just what I wanted to leave you with there. Well, thank you so much for bringing that up, because, in fact, I was going to entitle tonight's episode On Liberty, <laughs> and, of course, I was thinking of John Stuart Mill's essay, and I didn't have time to reread it before c- coming on the air tonight, so it's it's good to have you bring that up 
Um, I think we're thinking on the same wavelength. But uh, that that is, I think, ultimately, that is pretty much what most people would consider. I think at least most people listening to this broadcast would consider is liberty. The ability to do what you want with your own body in your own way, as long as it doesn't interfere with other people's ability to do what they want. But, of course, it's always that question of, well, what happens when there is conflict and how do we resolve that? And I think that's where... The real heart of this uh, this beast is because it's always a question of well what what even affects other people if secondhand smoke can be proven to be harmful to other people then does my smoking harm you not that I'm actually a smoker I'm not but but if I was a smoker does does that does that harm you and then does that give you the right to dictate what I can do with my body it becomes this this highly politicized space where really every action we do has to be parsed for how it affects other people. So it's an extremely difficult thing to get into, and um, and I can understand why that's that's an object of philosophical preoccupation. Barb, what's your take on that? Um, that that everything gets taken over by by the government. Uh, you know, that's what you're saying. Like everything becomes a nanny state. Um, is that? Well, I, yeah, I think that is the, the ultimate implication yeah. of it, isn't it? We need some yeah. sort of mommy it, to come along and sort out our fights. Yeah, it is. I know. I, you know, I think that we we could get along very well with uh, a tenth of the amount of laws that we have, you know. And, um, you know, I just, I'm not a person that likes to have a lot of laws. Uh, I think that people kind of, um, you know, it, are raised to understand that, you know, if you take, like I was watching a video that we were taking of my, that we took of my grandson, like he's 19 now, but he was like a year old, and he's sitting there in the sand out at the beach, and he goes to take some little kid's toy away, right? And the little girl starts to crying, and, you know, his grandpa goes, well, now, Anthony, now you have to, you can't take the little girl's toy away, you know, you, you share, you, you know, give her the toy, and then, you know, and he wasn't all broken up about it. You know, he understood that, you know, you have to be, you have to be a certain way if you're going to be around other people. But, you know, you don't need to just go overboard and have, you know, kids that that are riding um, a skateboard uh, have to wear a helmet and things like that. You know, I mean, things... Exactly. Exactly. I think you're right that the legal system is really what 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 takes over our lives to, to such an extent. I mean, we're entombed in laws, and they weave this legal web around each and every one of us, so it entombs us from, from cradle to grave, basically, in all of these injunctions that, that then they get to come in with their SWAT teams, with their, you know, riot gear and their, their jackboots and their, their machine guns to come and break, break down your door if you presume to, to question their authority to have that authority over you. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, and it, I think that is one of the central problems, isn't it? Yeah, and it takes, all, it takes a lot of the fun out of, you know, just living. <laughs> you know, when you have to watch and worry about everything that you do and let your kids do and everything. Exactly just, right, just, and I think probably more so than we even realize. Oh, all right, yeah. Barb, I'll thank you so go. much for your call, and uh, if anyone else wants to get in, once again, you can reach us tonight at 1-800-313-9443. We'll be right back right after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Welcome back, friends. We're here on Corbett Report Radio. And, of course, I am coming from all the way from the land of the rising sun in Japan. And, yes, living up to my usual opening epithet, it is a sunny day here. So welcome back. It's great to have you all on board again for another edition of tonight's broadcast. And it is a really sticky issue when we start exploring liberty and what it really is. But I think it's in some ways, easy to say what it isn't, and I think whatever system we're living in can safely be deemed not free. We are not living in a system that promotes liberty. So, really, I think we have to understand that we have to get away from this system, but unfortunately, as I said, when we're caught in this left-right trap, well, unfortunately, then they can direct our movements, and we can always be goaded along into further and further tyranny, more and more control over our lives by the very few at the very top, who sit behind the political system and puppeteer all of the little political minions that they put out in front of us to throw tomatoes at when we get sick of. And that's really, I mean, that's at the absolute heart of what we have to understand before we can move on and really start defining liberty for ourselves. So I want to share with you something that I've written as part of my Essays on the New World Order, a forthcoming book that I'm working on and have been working on for a few years now, so I hope you can wait on a little bit longer. But tonight I'll share a little bit of it with you. Uh, from an essay entitled Up Down Politics, where I get into exactly this type of system that they use to try to keep us mentally enslaved by providing us just a left and a right. And I think, well, I hope that this is a good way of flushing this out. So this is from an essay called Up Down Politics, and this part is called The Parable of the Ants. Once upon a time, there was a colony of ants living on a loop of string. The string was very thin, so that the ants could only move in two directions forward and backward, and so it came to pass that the ants spent most of their time arguing about which direction was better. Some ants argued that to move forward is to make progress. This fact alone, they argued, was enough to prove that moving forward was superior to moving backward. However, the backwardists, as they came to be known, chastised their forwardist friends for continuing confusing progress with happiness. True happiness, the backwardists preached, was knowing where, where you came from, not dreaming of where you have never been. For a while, the forwardists and the backwardists lived and worked together, and happily so. After all, they were all ants, and they were all living on the same loop of string. They just had a different way of looking at the world. But after a time, problems began to arise. A fast-moving backwardist ran into an inattentive forwardist, knocking him off the string completely. Recriminations followed, then retaliations. Soon the forwardists and the backwardists started to separate. They formed camps. Ants who had never had an opinion on forward movement or backward movement soon found they were forced to pick sides. Children were separated from their parents, brother from sister, friend from friend. Ants that had lived and worked together their whole lives were divided from one another just because they liked to move in a different direction. At first, there was nothing more than a dividing line between the two encampments. Soon enough, there was a fence. And then, in the way these things happen, the fence became a wall. Before long, there were guards making sure no one breached the wall. The camps stopped speaking to each other altogether, and merely shouted insults and taunts at each other across the wall. Within a generation, no one even remembered what the wall meant anymore, or what the whole argument was about. The philosophies were lost, and there were forwardists who walked backwards and backwardists who walked forward, and no one paid them any heed, not knowing that this was unusual. But still, forwardists told their children scary stories about the monstrous backwards ants who ate forward as children for breakfast, 
and the backwardest children learned in school how the forwardists were ravenous beasts who preyed on all but their own kind. As the generations passed, skirmishes broke out. The skirmishes became battles, the battles wars. At first, one side would be beaten back, then the other side would regroup and begin their own offensive, only to be beaten back themselves. Things passed in this way for some time. Eventually, the constant warring became too much, and by mutual agreement, the two sides decided to separate forever. The forwardists would set out in the direction that used to be called forward, back when that old word had its old meaning, and the backwardists would set out in the backward direction. Then, separately, they could explore their own section of the world string at peace. The two sides struck camp and began their great journey, setting out in opposite directions. The forwardists, wary of their backwardist foes, kept watch over their shoulders as they went, making sure their old enemies really were leaving them for good. The backwardists, knowing full well that a forwardist could never be trusted to keep his word, made sure their rivals were really disappearing into the distance. Each side was satisfied to see the, the other slipping further and further away as they parted. And so they set out their separate ways, each glad to finally be rid of the other. The forwardist moves one way, the backwardist the other, and all seemed well. But then, something remarkable happened. There in the distance, the forwardist leader saw something approaching in the distance. The backwardist leader, too, noticed movement upon the world string horizon. As they got nearer, they could discern it was not a single object, but many objects. A multitude. A colony of ants. At last, the ants became discernible, and they realized the unthinkable had happened. The forwardists were amazed to see the backwardists there in front of them, and the backwardists could not believe that the forwardists were there facing them. They had both set out in different directions, and they had both traveled without changing course, and yet here they were coming toward each other. All the while they had been moving apart, they had really been coming together. It was their opposite motion that brought them to the same place. To us humans, it's easy to see what happened to the ants. The ants, not realizing that the string they live on is one big loop, have merely walked in a circle. From their one-dimensional perspective, they were indeed traveling in a straight line and in different directions. But from our three-dimensional perspective, we can see that their straight line is not straight, but curved. And although they were moving apart in one dimension, they were actually moving in the same direction in a second dimension. Eventually, their different paths brought them to the same place in exactly the same way as two ships setting sail in opposite directions will eventually circumnavigate the globe and meet each other again on the other side. This is an important point. What seems baffling from a limited point of view makes perfect sense from a broader perspective. So does this parable have any relevance to us as humans? Are there issues in our society that seem baffling from our limited point of view but that made perfect sense from a broader perspective. Well, I'll end that passage there, but I hope the point is not lost on you. Of course, the parable of the ants, obviously talking about the two sides of our own phony political spectrum, the left and the right, the Democrats and the Republicans, who are engaged in their war and have all their rhetoric about uh, the, the atrocities committed by the other side and how it's all just some sort of big game to them. And no matter how much they try to move apart, in fact, they are really just moving in the same direction. And I think it's quite obvious that that's happened. And as I posit there, it's really just because our perspective is not broad enough to see the second dimension of politics, the up and down, the freedom versus tyranny, which I posit is the real political.
political paradigm. We can have left and right, and we can talk about, for example, left libertarianism and right libertarianism, or we can talk about left fascism, i.e. communism, or right fascism, i.e. what we typically call fascism. But really, they, they are two sides of the same coin. There's fascism and communism, and there's left libertarianism and right libertarianism. But in the end, the real difference is between the two poles, the fascists and the libertarians. And unfortunately, because we have been convinced that there is only a left and right, only a one-dimensional straight line that defines our political universe, we have been led almost inevitably towards that fascist end of the spectrum, the real spectrum. So that is something that I hope we can at least partially address today. Well, this is obviously a conversation that needs to be continued, well, for a long, long time, and by brighter minds than myself, I'm sure. But at any rate, I'd like to share with you a video that's available on YouTube. It now has over 350,000 views, and it's something that I promoted way back on, I think, Corbett Report episode 20, so somewhere in the neighborhood of four years ago. I was talking about and singing the praises of this video, which really got me thinking about the philosophy of liberty in a, in a more, well, a more profound, a more deep way than I had ever done hitherto. And uh, appropriately enough, this video is entitled The Philosophy of Liberty. And uh, it's available, as I say, on YouTube. And of course, you'll be able to get the link to this from t today's episode on CorbettReport.com slash radio. I will provide the link to this video so you can watch it for yourself. And I suggest you do watch it because it's an extremely simple animation. It's really just stickmen, and uh, there's no, not a lot of movement or anything. But I think it's important to see the, the representation. I think it has a, a good effect and the music as the background. But, but in lieu of that, because I can't really present that to you today because there's no voiceover, it's just writing on the screen, I will instead read to you at least part of this, this video, which I think does an excellent job of explaining at least the base concepts of a philosophy of liberty or certain things that we can at least think about when we're exploring the concept of liberty for ourselves. So, for example, it starts out, the philosophy of liberty is based on the principle of self-ownership. Self-ownership meaning you own your life. To deny this is to imply that another person has a higher claim on your life than you do. No other person or group of persons owns your life, nor do you own the lives of others. You exist in time, past, present, future. This is manifest in past, the product of your life and liberty, and to lose your life is to lose your future. To lose your liberty is to lose your present, and to lose the product of your life and liberty is to lose the portion of your life that produced it. Uh, okay, a product of your life. Okay, well, it goes on and on and on from there. I will let you, as I say, explore that for yourself, but I think it does an excellent job of really simplifying this to the basic idea of self-ownership, which I think has to be the fundamental idea upon which we base our concept of liberty. If someone else has a higher claim on your life than you yourself do, then yes, there are government agencies that then thereby would have some sort of claim to say, well, we're the higher authority that have the claim over your life, and we can tell you what to do. And I think that's really where the problem starts. 
So again, I will leave you to explore that philosophy of liberty video in greater detail, because as I say, I think it does an excellent job of doing that. And it's only eight minutes long, so I think uh, I think people, even even an MTV generation like myself, should be able to to sit through that and and really start to ponder some of these ideas on a deeper level. But I see we have another caller on the line, so let's go to Barrett in Idaho. Barrett, what's on your mind tonight? Yes, hi. Um, I'm originally from Portland, and I did a program. I I pr- produced a program out there called Educate Yourself Productions. But there was a guy that did a program on the different dimensions. There's the first dimension, the second dimension, and the way he described it was the second dimension would be like like flat creatures in a flat world that goes infinity, you know, left, right, forward, and back, you know, or northeast, whatever. And and then he got into uh, these shapes, these geometrical shapes in the fourth dimension to give us an idea of what it is, uh, this is how he described it. This is very interesting. Uh, uh, the two-dimensional creatures, which only understand left, right, forward, and back in infinity, uh, was to say that you, you can put your hand, like, on their second dimension, and they'll, to them, you just appeared out of nowhere. And the fourth dimension is the same thing, except that that's the time dimension. They also have the infinity dimension. And actually, all dimensions are infinity. Uh, you know, actually, I know exactly what you're talking about, because I, I got the, the general idea for that, that little parable of the ants from a book that I read way back when I was, I think, still in high school or even junior high school. It was a book on on hyperspace, hyperdimensions, and I believe it was by Michio Kaku, who's been trotted out as the the expert go-to man on the Fukushima situation, at least in the American media. Um, he's a physicist who writes popular books on the subject, and he, he wrote a, an entire book about that idea, basically saying that if you lived in a two-dimensional world, and, for example, I was living over, over top of that two-dimensional world, and I was holding, for example, a, a pyramid and I was flashing a light on the pyramid, it would cast a shadow on the, on the two-dimensional world that, uh, that these creatures were living on. And that shadow would look like a square, because obviously when the light hits the pyramid, it's, it's hitting it, but it's only, reflect, or it's only casting the shadow in the base, which is a square, not the whole object itself. So they would see a square, even though it's actually a pyramid. And uh, this book went into some detail about this. Well, what if there's a fourth spatial dimension that was interacting with our three-dimensional world these different objects would appear in different ways that that we could only partially comprehend and and that part of the book was about well obviously if there is this fourth spatial dimension then then things can can sort of appear or disappear into or out of that fourth dimension in a way that would seem spectacular to us but that would make perfect sense if you could see things from that broader perspective so i know exactly what you're talking about in fact that's exactly where i got the idea for that uh, parable of the ants I read um, Einstein's uh, autobiography um, about two years ago, and uh, he says that that there are things in the universe that our brains cannot comprehend, and we only use ten percent, or five percent, or even one percent. If if we could understand the universe, um, and he also stated. In, in his autobiography, that uh, he did not like the the sheep 
uh, mentality of of man, the 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 herd 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 mentality, which it does it does affect everything. It certainly does, and obviously Einstein quite an iconoclast in a lot of different ways. And uh, someone who not even was not even particularly gifted in math or anything of that sort, he just had an incredible imagination and was able to imagine situations and and extrapolate from them. And that's basically how he came up with relativity. And the uh, the story goes that in 1905 he published his uh, general theory, of, uh, sorry, his specific theory of relativity. In 1915 he published the general theory. It took him 10 years to figure out the math in order to do the general theory of relativity, whereas people say if he was uh, if he was sharper at mathematics, he could have come out with general relativity much, much sooner. It's just that he wasn't he, he that just, uh, mathematically gifted. He described um, uh, traveling in time as a man in the elevator. Einstein. Yes, yes, he that's right. That you, yeah, and he says, okay... Um, to you, everything is in front of you. Well, Einstein was a very smart man. Absolutely, very... and he was talking about relative motions there. So the elevator seems to be moving. You think you're staying still, but someone who's outside the building looking in can see that you're actually moving up and down. And, and you won't notice tell... it until until the elevator cable snaps and you start falling or whatever. So, yeah, yeah absolutely, to... some amazing ideas. And it comes from that broadening of the perspective. And I think that's ultimately what we have to do in the political arena, not just in the terms of the universe, but in the political universe. We have to break through the conditioning that we've had, that we live on this straight left-right line that keeps us bound into this stupid left-right game of politics that has nothing to do with the real reality that we're experiencing and that unfortunately that we're suffering under with all of this tyranny and control. But anyways, Barrett, thank you so much for your call. You hit the nail right on the head with where I was coming from with that perspective. So let's take a short break and we'll be right back right after these messages. back, friends, to the closing minutes of Corbett Report Radio. Of course, I'm your host, James Corbett, and I can be found at CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com, where you can also find uh, much, much more podcast episodes, interviews, articles, and videos that I've created and conducted over the course of the past four and a half years. It's scarcely believable to myself that I've been doing it for this long already, but time just flies by when you're... When you're having fun, well, I'm not sure I can say like that. When you're fighting tyranny, I guess, and that's that's ultimately what we're here and what we're doing and what we're about. So I just wanted to leave you tonight with a few quotations about uh, about the concept of libertarianism, which I find particularly interesting. And let me preface this by saying that I'm not a card-carrying member of any political party, nor do I ever plan to be in my entire life. I don't think that uh, putting myself in a in a box like that is really the way forward. So I can't say that I am a libertarian, but certainly I identify with the libertarian philosophy quite a bit. So I wanted to leave you with some quotations that I think do something to encapsulate this philosophy and why it's important. Um, For example, this one, I just love this quote. It's from L. Neal Smith, about whom I must confess complete ignorance. I don't know who he is, where he comes from, or anything else he's done, and I'll look it up later. But at any rate, this magnificent, awesome, incredible quotation Government is a disease masquerading as its own cure. <laughs> I love that. Government is a disease masquerading as its own cure. I love that. All right, um, moving on. How about P.J. O'Rourke? 
libertarians don't expect miracles from individuals. We just expect individuals to be individuals with the limited scope for evil that individuals enjoy. I think that's an important quotation to capture the essence of that, because ultimately that people do have failings, and any system that's based on people being perfect angels and acting ideally and acting in, in their own best interests even is doomed to failure. And I truly believe that. I think we have to expect that people will be individuals, and they will they will do things that individuals do, including things that are for evil and that are not good in any way for anyone, um, even things that are self-destructive at times. So we have to expect that, and I think uh, I think libertarianism does uh, expect that. So I think I think it does not fail on that regard. Um, how about uh, this quotation from Jeff Allen? Uh, he says, "Finally, I would ask, who are the true juveniles in society? The libertarians who look to their own resources and those they can contract voluntarily." or the folks who look to extortion by governments to bail them out of their difficulties. And finally, one from David Boaz, conservatives want to be your daddy, telling you what to do and what not to do. Liberals want to be your mummy, feeding you, tucking you in, and wiping your nose. Libertarians want to treat you as an adult. And I identify that very, very much. I think ultimately that's what we have to be looking for collectively as a society, as a civilization, as a species on this planet. We have to we have to really start growing up and getting with the program because either we become adults and we thrive and we take responsibility for our own actions and responsibility over our own lives, or we concede all of that responsibility to the governments and the corporations that are all too happy to take over and manufacture and run every single detail of your life. So ultimately, it's a decision we have to make each and every day to choose liberty and to choose freedom and to choose independence from all the structures that are out there seeking to control us. And, well, God knows I'm no angel in all of this. I am just a, a mortal individual, and I've got my little iPhone slave device and all of the other accoutrements that are that are so chic these days. But, uh, but I'm doing my best to try to disengage with the system, and I think that has to start with mental disengagement. So that's why I thank you for taking the time each and every night to join us here on Corporate Report Radio as we seek true mental liberation. So once again, let's start from there and let's continue casting our nets out in order to find true liberty. And I hope you'll join me in that endeavor once again tomorrow evening. So until then, thank you all for listening and have a great night.